0: Good morning. (laughs) Oh man, thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be back. Please have a seat. Um, uh, You probably used this term before, like you've said, or you've heard, yeah, you know, I need that like I need a hole in the head. Well, come to find out, I actually did need a hole in the head. I had what's called a subdural hematoma. There was blood on that brain, so they had to alleviate that. But um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be back. And I'm happy to be here on this weekend. This is Valentine's Day weekend. This is a weekend we celebrate, typically people celebrate during this week their love for one another, and uh, we, we have co-opted Valentine's Day weekend because we believe that it's our opportunity to show God's love to people who would otherwise not be able to know about it. And um, I know what it's like this past week to get bombarded by love. I've had my own love bomb. Uh, People have written so many kind notes and posts and emails and cards and meals. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And and I know that all people show love whenever there's uh, an issue that comes up, a problem that comes up. Uh, Somebody gets hurt, somebody will be there for them. We know that all people do that. That's just general. However, God's people do it best. God's people do it best. They do. Quick story. Uh, way back in the earlier part of the church, early church history, there was a, a historian by the name of Tertullian. Tertullian was one of the early chroniclers of church history. And he um, tells a story that the Roman government was very suspicious of Christians who were growing in the Roman Empire at the time. They did not know what to make of them. Uh, They were suspicious because they thought they would be disloyal to the Roman government. So the government sent spies into their assemblies. And Tertullian writes that these spies came back on one account and said something to the effect of, you know, these Christians are strange people, which I would tend to agree with, but they said they're strange people because they meet in, a, in an empty room, uh, there's, there's nothing really there, they talk about a guy named Jesus who is not there, but they seem to expect him to be there at any time to show back up. But then he ended his report by saying, and my, how they love him, and how they love one another. And so what struck these spies is the love that was being shown by the church for other believers. My, how they love him, and how they love one another. Really, that's why we're here this weekend. We've always had a mission presence. We've, we've always done things to reach out to a lost and suffering world. We, we've always believed that as a core value. We believe that the world needs to hear and not only to hear but also to see the love of God. We believe we have a very unique opportunity set before us in this organization that we call Reload Love. Um. It's something that I believe in personally to the extent that I give to it. We as a family invest in it. And uh, it's something I'm hoping you'll believe in too, very minimally that that we would all be praying for uh, what God wants to do and praying for people, but then also hopefully to get involved in it financially. So I want to read a text to you out of Hebrews chapter 10 Something that uh, in my recovery the last week I was looking at, it just sort of struck me. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, this is Hebrews 10 verse 19, I'm beginning that paragraph. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. A quick background note. The book of Hebrews, we don't exactly know who wrote it, but we do know that the audience was Hebrews. They were Jewish. Their background was Judaism. They had come to faith in Christ, but because of the pressure of that older religious system, Judaism, they were tempted, many of them, to go back and trust in the sacrifices at the temple, trust in the synagogue, trust in the religion they were brought up with. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. When you came to Christ, you were pressured by parents, you were pressured by uh, a church you left, and, and it's just more comfortable and much easier to just go back and not create any waves. So the writer is telling them, don't do that. You're not just changing religions. You're leaving an old system for something and someone who is far better, and that is Jesus himself. So that, that's what the, the background of this book is written about. What I want to do is zero in on just a couple of verses. I read a paragraph, but two verses that basically tell us uh, who we are, what we do, and why. And uh, two verses especially that uh, I, I mention are verse 24 and verse 25. In those two verses, we have three things that we as believers do and why we meet regularly, we love lavishly, and we act decisively. We gather regularly, we love lavishly, we act decisively. He says in verse 25, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together," as is the manner of some. We don't exactly know what was causing some to stop meeting together, but obviously that that was the case. I'm guessing that it was the pressure of Judaism, the pressure of family, the pressure of rabbis, that were causing some believers to not meet together as Christian believers, but just to go back to the old system. So the author says, don't do that. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I put that all under the category of we meet regularly. We meet regularly. Um. There are, in this paragraph, words that are are noteworthy. They are collective words, not writing to uh, an individual. He doesn't say in verse 19, therefore, brother or sister, but brethren. That's a group. He's writing to a bunch of people. And then he follows that up with language, I'm just going to call them, there's three heads of lettuce. Uh, in, In this paragraph, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Sorry about the pun, couldn't help it. That's the first head of let us, let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He's not writing to an individual. He's writing to a group. That's because that's what Christians do. We gather together in groups. Now, back then, it was severe. Back then, 2,000 years ago, especially in Jerusalem, uh, if you converted to Christ, you would lose your job because jobs were controlled by the temple enterprise, the Sadducees controlled the employment of that city. So you had believers losing their employment, losing their social status, so the church became their new family. I remember exactly what that was like. I remember in 1973, that's how long ago I became a Christian, I was raised in a very religious home, my parents didn't understand, my brothers didn't understand why I'm in this new religious thing. I was being ostracized, I was being pressured. But I discovered other believers, they were my new family. I could talk to them about things I couldn't talk to my parents about at the time. And I felt accepted by them. It was the church family. A computer cannot do that for you. Social media cannot do that for you. A podcast cannot do that for you. And what a computer and social media and a podcast cannot do for you, the church of Jesus Christ should do for you. Should be able to provide for you a family. We live in a culture where we can connect instantaneously on our devices, and that's a good thing. Uh, to some degree, it's a good thing. Uh, I take advantage of it. Uh, I was tuning in last weekend uh, via my phone uh, to be able to watch live the services. Thank God for that technology. However, the same technology that can be a blessing can also make us isolated because we're just interacting with a screen, not, a, not another group of humans. We're not, I, I, in that case, wasn't gathering together. It's good for a quick fix, but it shouldn't be an ongoing practice. It it can serve, in fact, to isolate. So I love Psalm 68 where it calls God a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows who sets the solitary in families. In the body of Christ, I have discovered a wonderful family. And you hear the language, and it's intentional language. Every week when you come in the building, we say, welcome home. Welcome to God's family. We're glad you're a part of the family. We want to live life together. We want to do this together. We want to be able to pray for you. So the church of Jesus Christ will never be outdated. I, I, I hear the death knell yeah, of people saying the church of Jesus Christ is going away or, or the modern church is a thing of the past. The church of Jesus Christ will never be outdated as long as it stays biblical. If it doesn't stay biblical, then it's just another club. Uh, it, it might as well be the Elks Club or, or, or whatever, just, just a social gathering. But if it stays biblical, it becomes a spiritual family that gets you through life. So we gather. We gather together. There's great value in leaving our homes and gathering together. It's called fellowship. Fellowship can never be done alone. You can't download an app called the Fellowship app. You can't really have true interaction without being able to see body language, hear the tone of a voice, feel the reaction of people around you. Uh, You can't download on your computer Intimacy 3.0. It doesn't work that way. There's an old Jewish proverb, not a biblical proverb, but a Jewish proverb, a saying that said, um, a friendless man, a man without friends, a friendless man is like the right hand bereft of the left hand. And I would say that an isolated Christian is like a right hand bereft of the left hand. We need each other and we need proximity to each other. We need friends. We need family. So we gather regularly for that reason. I remember reading an account of Adolf Hitler written by a man who probably of all the people that knew him would be considered his closest friend. His name was Albert Speer. And Albert Speer wrote of Adolf Hitler that Hitler was an unusual person in that he did not respond to friendship. He was incapable of having a close friend. And he became very, very isolated because of that. So so we need each other. We need a family. We need proximity. Because when we gather together, we, we're sharing time. We're sharing attention. We're sharing, uh, like this weekend, in projects. You know, we believe in this project, and we believe in it strongly enough to share it together. So, number one, we meet regularly. Second thing, we are to love lavishly. The text in verse 24 says... And let us consider one another in order to stir up love. I think love needs to be stirred up. Because we live in a society that stirs up hate all the time. I, I cannot get on social media. I cannot get on television without seeing people spewing out hatred, usually one political party toward another, and we feel the division, and hatred gets stirred up. We gather together in order to stir up love. I uh, was reading uh, a musical website, of all things, the other day, and something really just stood out to me. It said that in their estimation... 100 million love songs have been recorded in history. Now, recording is not that old of a practice, so that really grabbed my attention. 100, they said at least 100 million love songs have been recorded. But the article went on to say the lasting love songs, the ones we really remember, are about heartbreak. The ones that really stand the test of time are songs written about heartache. In other words, the love songs that people remember are about the failure of love, not the success of love. So I'm here to tell us that can't be our legacy. Our legacy should be of the success of love rather than the failure of love. Remember a few weeks ago when we were in Romans 12, we we dealt with that passage, let love be without hypocrisy, and we mentioned the different words for love, and that we in America use the same word for lots of different expressions of love. I love you, sweetheart. I love you, Jesus. I love pizza. And we said, it can't be pizza love. It has to be real love, authentic love. So, we gather regularly. We love lavishly. It's what we do. It's who we are. A group of researchers uh, was asking a group of children to define love. Uh, Between the ages of four and eight years old, you say, well, you're not going to get a really great definition. No, but you're going to get some pretty funny ones, right? Right? Uh, Tell us, what is, in your view, what what is love? What does that mean? But of all of the uh, kids that weighed in on what love is, there was one very insightful young man who said, in defining love, he said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails any longer. So my grandpa... Painted her toenails, even when he got arthritis. And he said, that is love. And I will say that boy is correct. That is love. That is an expression of lavish love that is a verb that is an action. And I think that you and I should begin to evaluate our lives by love. Let me explain. Evaluate your life by love. Not how many people love you, but by how many people you love. By how many people you love. Did you know that Jesus, our Lord, gave the world permission to judge us? He said this, By this shall all men know you are my disciples, By the love you have one for another. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he give the unbelieving world permission to judge us? Because here's the secret. Love makes an invisible God now visible. See, we have a problem. We talk about God to an unbelieving world. The unbeliever goes, I can't see God. Where is God? You by love, authentic love... Demonstrate, make visible the invisible God. The Apostle John in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, wrote these words, No one has ever seen God, but if you love each other, then God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So think of it this way. Love is a billboard that causes drivers to get attention. So love is the billboard that allows passerbys to focus on that, remember it, and know there's a God and he's real. Because I have seen his love demonstrated by this group of people. So, this is who we are and what we do. We, we meet regularly, we love lavishly, and third, we act decisively. I'm going back to verse 24. I'm only reading two verses where it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And good works. Stir up love and good works. The word stir up means to motivate or or to spiritually stimulate. The value of gathering together, and I think the value of this once a year thing called the love bomb, is to stir up, stimulate spiritually, the good work of showing lavish love at a decisive moment for the very least of these children impacted by terrorism. Now there's a very real thing called compassion fatigue. Experts know that people who who hear about needs on an ongoing basis get it, compassion fatigue. Or caregivers who who are giving care to one person over a long period of time get fatigued, get tired out showing compassion. And I know that we are given throughout a year uh, a number of different things to contribute to. Operation Christmas Child, Feed New Mexico Kids, a presence at Christmas time for underprivileged children in our community, and reload love, love bomb, etc. I know that. I'm praying we will not get compassion fatigue. But could it be that we, because we have this tendency, that Jesus gave a command to love? He said, in, "Do you remember this? A new commandment I give to you: that you love one another as I have loved you." Now, when you hear that, you might think, "A command?" To love? Doesn't that go against the very definition of love? Isn't love something that just spontaneously arises out of the emotion? No, it doesn't. Anybody who who has been married more than a year knows this. Anybody who has children knows this. Anybody who has a friend or a neighbor knows this. You don't always feel the same. But you, you make a commitment, you make a decision to act a certain way toward a person. So he gives a command, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So in showing love to the least of these, and in this case, children impacted by terror, it's not that you're going to feel warm fuzzies following you all the days of your life or, or have uh, the sun shining and the birds chirping more than a feeling, though it does feel good to give. You're going to be able to know that you are showing, demonstrating the love of God to somebody in this world who needs to hear it, needs to feel it, needs to see it, and in many cases who has never heard of Jesus before but will because of your lavish love. So we, we, we gather, we meet regularly, we love lavishly, we act decisively. I'm joined by some friends. Actually, family members. My wife and my son, Nate. Um, Lenya, this really was your idea, Reload Love. It was the Lord's idea, but he, he gave it to you in, in the shower. and Because um, that's you, not creepy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so... Reload Love has been going on for about six years now. We've been talking about this. We do do this Love Bomb thing now. This is like fifth or sixth time that we've done it. What has Reload Love done?
1: That was a very pregnant pause. pause. It was a long pause
0: (laughs) on purpose. What is it you've actually done?
1: Well, I'm blessed to say we've built 40 playgrounds, so that's pretty amazing. In five years, this is our sixth Love Bomb. Also, we've distributed over a million dollars, thank you, to you, with Reload Love. It's incredible. We've been in so many countries that um, we are thrilled. We've been to Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Pakistan, Thailand, Burma, Cambodia, Bulgaria, Lebanon.
0: Iraq. Sounds like you're an underachiever. I
1: think I did. Jordan, Iraq? Yes. Yes. So anyway, we're just so honored, so thrilled that God has taken us far beyond anything we expected, exceedingly abundantly, above all we've asked or hoped. So
0: I just want to, a quick backtrack when when you were when you were in that shower. And it's funny uh, because you have over the years seen things on the news and you've reacted to them. Back in um, 2001, when the towers fell in New York City, you came up with this thing called the Mercy Band, which were these silver bands with the names uh, of people who had fallen uh, in the towers, and asked people to pray for the families, and that was wildly successful in that uh, CNN picked it up, and it was uh, put on news outlets, and people around the country were moved by that, so so what was it that got you involved with this project?
1: Well, first of all, um, I know a lot of us avoid the news, but I watch the news because I pray. When I watched the news. So I would encourage you to go back to watching the news. But pray while you're watching it. And so um, during this season for Reload Love. Um, Bashar Assad of Syria had dropped sarin gas on several villages. And I saw the children coughing and gagging. And that was supposed to be a red line. And then ISIS came across into Iraq. And committed genocide with the Yazidi people. Chasing them up this mountain. And they were trapped, and they were trying to bring helicopters in, and moms were trying to put babies on the helicopter. And I just thought if those were my children or my grandchildren, I would pray that someone would help them, that someone would do something. And alone we feel like we can't do much. But I think together we can do enormous things. That's the point of the body of Christ, that um, together we're better. Where two or more are gathered in his name. He's in the midst, and the gates of hell. Can't stand against it. So I think I was thinking, how could we get people joined together? And if you wore a piece of jewelry or a t shirt or made a donation, that maybe we could make a big difference together. And I do believe God's love is the answer and that God's love um, can break down all evil no matter where it is. So I think that those were my thoughts. And um, the idea was, um, I wonder if we could get spent bullet casings, turn them into brass charms and help kids impacted by terror. And here we are six years later.
0: And so you were on the Mike Huckabee show recently and he asked you this question and he said, what is a love bomb? And you explained it as? A virtual fundraiser
1: that um, you didn't have to actually be here to do this. And um, so often it's hard to get people together at the same time, the same place. So um, near Valentine's Day, whatever weekend falls close, it's virtual that no matter where you are and we're really grateful because this church supports so much but we have partners everywhere and so there are partners in other states that are donating and giving at this time we have some ga- groundbreakers who are constant um, donors to reload love so it's an opportunity that we can spread outside the borders of our church
0: yeah, you you've, uh, there are other churches that are involved in this yes. Is right yes oh, well in, di- in different states Nate um, you have you raised up in our family and raised in this church. You've traveled um, to the mission field on a number of different outreaches. But recently you went with mom over to Thailand. And you saw the opportunity. And, and, and so this year we're, we're making a pivot because of that, actually, because of something you thought about and saw. Tell me your impression when you went there.
2: Yeah, we did make a big pivot. And I had an opportunity uh, when we were... Invited to partner with this organization called stadia to go to brazil and see the work they were doing out there And they have this vision this group stadia that every child should have a church And so their goal is to plant as many churches in war-torn third-world countries across the globe So that every child can experience the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and what that can bring into their lives and for just $30,000 Uh, churches can sponsor other churches to be built. And so I brought this vision to my mom and I said, hey, what if we expanded the vision of real love from just building playgrounds to building churches? What if we desire to create places, safe spaces for kids to hear the gospel, to have their eternal lives changed, their destination altered from hell to heaven, to experience the life-changing power of the gospel and what that brings to their lives? And she immediately jumped on board. And so we decided to go back to where we first started, to Burma and to Thailand and create these churches. So we went with a very singular vision and a focus, I think, of we're going to build churches. That's our goal. And I think God just kind of blew the doors open on what we thought we were there for. And they began to share with us their vision to send out evangelists for $9,100. We can support an evangelist for three years. Can you imagine living on $9,100 for three years? And yet they're able to do that. And what blew me away is... The heart that they had though, the fact that they are going to do this work, they are so called to this work, whether we support them or not. They're going to do this work. Whether we send them money or not, they're going to spread the gospel and reach these people groups. They feel called to this place. These aren't white missionaries coming from the United States to go live in Burma and Thailand. These are people who grew up in these villages, grew up in these communities, grew up amongst these people. And they have a desire to reach their people. And whether they starve and die or not, they're going to do this work. And I was just impressed with this verse that how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. But that verse also says, how can they go unless they're sent? And I was looking at us and the resources we have, the ways that God has blessed and the things that God has given to us. And I said, man, a lot of us can't go. We'd love to go, but we can send. And the reward in heaven is just as great for those who are sending as those who are going. And so, just this heart, I mean, man, think about it. This weekend, we have this opportunity to raise $150,000 to build three churches where kids can be loved on and cared for and hear the gospel, where communities can be changed. We can send out three evangelists to reach unreached people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We can fill in a pit to create homes for families to live on the church grounds. We can provide a car so that a pastor can take kids to the hospital and to and from school. We have the opportunity to make that impact. And every single dollar that we're giving this weekend is going directly towards making that goal possible. I love that. The video that we saw, the video that you played, that wasn't some stock footage we found online of, oh, these kids are really going to make people feel bad and want to give money. Those are the actual kids and pastors that we're having an opportunity to make a difference within their lives. And I just think that's incredible.
0: And let me just say, as a pastor... This is an exciting pivot because we love the idea that it's, yeah, we love playgrounds and we love working with kids, but the fact that we're going to leave something lasting and life giving for generations to come to to, uh, train these kids up in a school, to give a, a church in this area, a gospel witness. This is something that a lot of us are going to get behind. And them.
2: something we can have a lasting role and a part to play. This isn't just a one-time thing where we're going to be building these yeah, no, these, explain that. these churches. A big part of this for us was creating opportunity for our church to be involved within the lives of these pastors and communities for many, many years to come. And, uh, you know, my wife was just texting me during that video, and she said, I want to go... Sad Aww. cry emoji. I want to love on the babies so bad, and that's been the response since we started Reload Love. There's been so many people who've said, "I want to go. I want to love on these kids." Part of the reason why we decided to go back to Burma and Thailand this year and build these churches is we want to, in 2020 and beyond, plan many, many mission trips for you guys to be able to go visit these places, to visit these kids. We want to plan a men's group where we can get contractors out there to help build these churches. We want to get kids groups to go out there and do VBS for these churches. We want to plan youth youth trips for the youth to go out and do drama and evangelize in these villages and these cities. We want you to be a part of this. And part of the great part about Stadia is they're going to send us updates every few months of how many people's lives are being changed by these evangelists, oh, how many converts have come. We're going to get pictures and videos from these pastors. So we're going to have a lasting impact and a sustainable role in helping these churches grow and being a part of the lives of these kids and these families and these communities as we move forward. Wouldn't
0: it be great to actually sit in a building that we built and sit in there for a service and watch the faces of people who gather for worship? And be a part of those To give kids. you a little
1: texture and highlight of the people that we met, and um, you can have that experience in the foyer and meet some of these amazing men and pastors. They're not getting called to Scottsdale, Arizona, or Vail, Colorado. Um, one of the couples we met had been working outside uh, where a tsunami had hit. And there is a trash dump in Thailand that um, some of the people who are refugees that didn't make it to a camp, or they didn't make it on the outskirts of a farm, the only place left was to pitch their homes on trash dumps. Hmm. And this couple felt called to go help those people. I don't know if you're called to go to a trash dump, but they were called the day we got there. They were on bicycles and they had um, these big pots of rice and food to take to the kids mm-hmm. and find them who would not be getting an education. They would not be getting a warm meal. They would just be really lost in, in so many ways. And so the, the men that we're having the opportunity to meet are laying it all on the line. Also, the organization we work with have identified literally unreached people groups. Um, there are boat people in Burma who are wearing. Off the beaten path, and they think they found a people group that have never heard of Jesus before. And so, one of the missionaries we're sending is really going to a group of people that have not heard the gospel. And then finally, Moses, one of the guys we met. Um, You can't leave a refugee camp when you live in Thailand. You have to stay where you are. You don't get a green card. You don't get a job. You get nothing. And so unless they import an education there, import. So some people might sneak off the camp to maybe do odd jobs, clean someone's yard, clean their house, and try and bring money back to their family. But the day we pulled up to Moses and, and his area, there were police who had stopped those who went off to try and make money. And they can just be thugs. They can be like the, you know, mafia and take away the money from the refugees who are just trying to bring scraps home. So they're entirely disadvantaged in a way that they don't have education, they don't have health care, they don't have any of the governmental opportunities that we might have here. And so Moses had this beat up truck that the uh, brakes didn't work. And uh, he would go pick up the kids in the villages and bring them down to go to school. And one of the last services, we were able to raise the money to get Moses a new truck. that he can do that with the kids. Yes, yes.
2: And what I love is you just brought up that evangelists were sending out to these boat water tribes uh, in Myanmar one of the things I love, we already said it before, is they're doing the work whether they get sponsored or not. This evangelist who we're going to have an opportunity to sponsor, he's already been out with this tribe, with this village before he had a sponsor, before he had anybody providing support. He's been trying to find a way to make this happen. And already, there's been several families who have given their lives to the Lord and been baptized. And we have videos and pictures of this unreached people group, people who had never heard the name of Jesus, and God's already bringing about a change within their midst. And so we're so excited to be able to sponsor him and be a part of that lasting change. Let
0: me just give a note of explanation of those who study populations in the world, mission organizations that do this. They've identified 7,000 unreached people groups. What that means is less than 2% of those people are Christian, and there is no gospel witness in that culture. There are 7,000 such groups. The fact that we get to reach into some of these unreached people groups, sponsor evangelists,
2: build churches, it's like, sign me up. And there's something biblical to that standpoint. Again, we are called to this great commission, and we know that the Lord won't come back and won't return until everyone has heard and had the opportunity to hear. So we have this opportunity to literally usher in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by spreading the gospel to unreached people groups who've never heard the love of Jesus.
0: Um, so, once again, you can text. If, if even though we've already passed this out, people are watching this online, and you can continue to give throughout this day. You can text reload love to seven seven nine seven seven. If you want to go online, reloadlove.com. You could write a cat, uh, write a check. I don't think you can write a cash. Unless you have like a material. It's illegal to
1: write on cash.
0: Oh, and I think you can't print cash at your house, (laughs) right? Right. That's That's illegal too. Yeah, so if you want to write a check or put cash, uh, you can uh, make it payable to Reload Love. And we just want you to know that all those checks that come in that say
2: Reload Love. We don't take a percentage of it for anything. We send it all. 100%. To this. 100%. You know, one thing I think we didn't get to talk about, but the importance, you know, a lot of people can say, okay, well, why are you building buildings? Why are you building churches? But these buildings that we're having an opportunity to build, they make a big difference and an impact within these communities as well because these buildings don't just act as a church, they really act as a hub for the entire community. You just a community brought up center. that the the people who are living in these refugee camps, they can't go out of the refugee camps, which means that they can't go out and get work. They can't go out and get an education. They can't go out and get medical care. And these churches really act as a place for all these things to happen. Moses, we had a chance to meet, had a group of Americans come, a group of doctors and dentists, and train Moses and a couple of the other pastors there how to do some routine dental procedures and some not routine dental procedures. And actually Moses did a root canal on... The pastor did that. a root canal for a congregant. Actually, it wasn't a congregant at the time. It was just somebody Anybody in the village. Anybody want to
1: volunteer for that? <laughs>
2: But again, that's the story of life change. At the time, it wasn't a congregant. It was just a villager. And that villager ended up, he and his entire family got saved because of this act of kindness that Moses was able to do. Another church that we went and visited, there was a bunch of sewing machines there because sex trafficking is a huge problem in Thailand and Burma. And so they're training girls how to get professions and do trades Mm. so they can be protected from getting uh, absorbed into into the sex trafficking ring in Thailand. And so really just incredible Mm. stories all through these these churches of the impact that that building can make.
1: Maybe to break some of your um, wrong paradigms or thoughts, a lot of people think Buddhists are so peaceful and, you know, they're calm and meditate and that kind of thing. But in this Buddhist culture, it is the Buddhists that are creating genocide against these tribes. And so these pastors have been um, persecuted, beaten, and hurt and harmed by Buddhists as they're trying to survive... uh, Pastor Moses, now that he's in Thailand, said, well, they say statistically Thailand is 100% Buddhist, but we like to say it's 99% now because of the work that we've been doing in Thailand. So um, it's really beautiful that these work are are, are able to stand against something else and bring the gospel to, again, these really unreached people.
0: Hey, before we uh, uh, dismiss, there's somebody who really needs to be up here. She hasn't been during the whole service, but she really is such a part of this family, and that is Janae. Janae, come on up here for a moment, please. (laughs) Thank you. She gets embarrassed when I do this, but she has been such a love and support to to me this last uh, several weeks. Thank you. Stand up here. Stand up here. Can we all stand?
1: We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. At and just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.